0: Settlers
1: began arriving in the Walker Basin in the late 1800s and the town of Hawthorne, Nevada was established in the 1920s as a military hub with a munitions depot. Visitors and locals alike enjoyed fishing in Walker Lake, which was once a thriving habitat for a number of native fish species and migrating birds until 2009, when the last stocked Lahontan cutthroat trout was fished out of Walker Lake. My guest, Jeff Bryant, is the executive director of the Walker Basin Conservancy, a nonprofit organization established to administer the Walker Basin Restoration Program. Jeff's upbringing in Hawthorne, Nevada, fostered a deep-rooted passion for the Walker Basin. Prior to his role at Walker Basin, Jeff worked with the Great Basin Institute and led conservation crews throughout the Great Basin, Mojave Desert, and the Central Pacific Coast of Mexico. Later, Jeff worked to develop several nonprofits, including Urban Roots, the Polygrarian Institute, and Truckee Meadows Parks Foundation. His knowledge and experience is top-notch when it comes to conservation and Sustainable Agriculture. Jeff, welcome.
2: Yeah, hi Sherry. Thank you for having me.
1: Let's start with the basics because I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't know what the Walker Basin Restoration Program is and along with that, why is it important to Northern Nevada?
2: Yeah, the Walker Basin Restoration Program results as uh, Walker Lake has experienced a very deep a very steep decline in its health um, since agriculture was introduced in the late 19th century. The lake itself has lost over 90 percent of its volume, and as you mentioned in the intro, um, the lake's ability to uh, provide a healthy habitat for fishery has waned. And so, the program was created as a means to mitigate the issues, try to salvage the lake, restore a health and balance to it um, through a capitalistic approach for for conservation, which is the Fair market acquisition program for water rights.
1: So, I was doing a lot of research on it. So, initially, there were like three big ranches, and I'm and they kind of gifted back to mm-hmm. the lake area. So, I mean, it's about what almost 14,000 acres that you guys are now working with to try and restore.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, these water rights, you know, they're all used for agriculture, these are just certain plans. And as we we acquire water to keep in-stream for the benefit of Walker Lake, um, there's a a huge responsibility that we have to make sure the lands are stewarded appropriately. So we have a very large, robust field program to manage these acres, which, as you mentioned, uh, we're managing approximately 14,000 acres of land right now in our stewardship efforts, a vast majority of which have been conveyed to the state of Nevada. Uh, to create uh, public access and recreation opportunities for the for for the folks in the area.
1: Yeah, one of the things I think that you just did in October, which is how I bumped into you, is your yeah. plant-a-thon. So why don't you talk about some of these efforts that you guys are spearheading, yeah. and then you know what what it looks like for the future?
2: Yeah, yeah. So one of the the mechanisms that we need to do is we're as we pull the water off. Of these lands, uh, we can't leave them fallow. Uh, we can't let we, noxious weeds come in. We have to deal with fugitive dust. And one way is that to, to spearhead the, you know, the ecological um, reintroduction of appropriate plant species. I so do a lot of work. I kind of joke with our staff and call ourselves sagebrush farmers at times, um, but we're, we're reintroducing these native plants into this acreage. And when you're talking in a vast acreage of 14,000 plus acres, require requires a lot of plants. We need to get approximately 100,000 plants in the ground um, by the end of next year to keep up with our goals and our targets and measures to, to make sure that we're proceeding efficiently. So the plantathon that we did, we wanted to hold, try to create a, a way to get the public involved. Um, you know, with all the COVID restrictions and other things, which that have just restricted normal processes and um, engagements with their constituents over the year. We wanted to create a fun way to let people get involved and get the word out about what we're doing and kind of highlight some of the work that we're doing with our, our plan efforts. And so, yeah, so we put together the Planathon in October, um, trying to raise a little bit of money for, you know, like the, the sponsorship that you guys generously made. Um, each of those sponsorships is going to go right back into um, our plant producing operations and make sure that we can keep up with the need to produ- continue producing these plants. Um, but for the for the plantathon itself, uh, we got over 8,000 plants um, in the ground on approximately 120 acres, uh, which may not sound like a lot when you're thinking about 14,000. Uh, but the time and the intensity is is showing where during the month of October we have approximately 50 staff and AmeriCorps members uh, working nonstop to get those those plants in the ground on that acreage. Um, it's a very intensive process. Um, Uh, Yeah, we wanted to highlight it and find a way to let the public uh, be involved to a certain degree.
1: Absolutely. Well, and it sounds like I know you have a really good relationship because this takes a lot of volunteers. So talk about the importance of volunteers Mm -hmm. for the Walker Basin Conservancy.
2: Oh, it is incredibly important. You know, the main volunteer mechanism that we have for us is the AmeriCorps program which is, if you're not familiar with it, it's a national service program similar to Peace Corps, but for domestic services. And so without that AmeriCorps program and the, the opportunity to attract, you know, typically these are younger professionals, they're in school or maybe they're a year removed from school, trying to get a little bit of experience out there. But without the help of this AmeriCorps program, it would be very difficult for us to meet our reservation goals. We rely on them heavily, and as we move forward into the future, As, you know, restrictions are lifted and we can get back to some sense of normalcy, Um, the addition of volunteer days and larger plantings and gatherings will will be definitely part of the playbook to accomplish our goals.
1: Yeah, this I'm speaking with Jeff Bryant, who's the executive director of the Walker Basin Conservancy. So, Jeff, let's talk about other than, you know, Hawthorne is going to benefit greatly because... You know, restoring the lake and the <laughs> acreage around it. Why, why is this important mm-hmm. to all of northern Nevada?
2: Well, I think for all of northern Nevada, there's there's definitely a, a resource there for recreation, um, you know, the, to protect our natural resources. You know, one of the, I think for most Nevadans out there, uh, something that we take a lot of pride in is the amount of public land that we have in Nevada, and you know the public land is a, is enjoyable and it's accessible as long as it's healthy. Um, so if we're able to restore the the lake, reintroduce a fishery, it creates more more recreation opportunities for the people of all of Nevada, not just the folks in Hawthorne. Um, the folks in Hawthorne, in particular, when the lake's fishery finally collapsed, the the hit on the recreation economy of that community was devastating. So hoping to bring back a little bit of economic livelihood. Uh, to the small rural town as well.
1: I'm guessing they're excited that this has transpired. The potential—do you get mm-hmm. a lot of support from the the town of Hawthorne?
2: We do. We do. Our most vocal support is definitely from residents of Hawthorne, and even former residents like myself. Um, that lake provides a lot of a lot of very vivid, joyful memories for a lot of us, and it's kind of part of who we are growing up down there. So it is, they, I would absolutely say yes. The town of Poplar is a major supporter of what we're doing.
1: One of the things that I found interesting is that when this lake was thriving, it was a huge migratory rest stop for, is it mm-hmm. the Loon? I'm not sure which one, but let, let's mm-hmm. talk about the importance of, uh, I mean, that's one of the goals I'm guessing through The Walker Basin Restoration Program is to get this back into a migratory habitat.
2: Absolutely, yeah. The the loons are one of the the major species of birds that would migrate through. Uh, In fact, Hawthorne used to hold a loon festival every year to kind of celebrate, um, you know, these tens of thousands of birds would be on the lake at any given time as they're uh, going north and south on their journey. You know, the importance of, of reestablishing that is essentially getting the baseline keystone species, which would be the... Chewie Chub, uh, which is a, a native fish to the lake, and then also the long hunt and cutthroat trout. Once we're able to establish some of those keystone species, we do expect that the migrating birds will, will begin to revisit the lake and, and have a stopover, a place to rest, a place to feed um, on their long journeys.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome to see. And I imagine growing up there, Jeff, that it was awesome to see. Every time I've driven down through Hawthorne, I mean, I see this big, fabulous, beautiful lake and nothing on it. Not a bird, Mm -hmm. uh, nobody. And, you know, you're always curious going, gee, I wonder what's going on with that lake (laughs) as to why no one's using it, no one's fishing. And now I completely understand because it's empty.
2: Yeah, there's no wildlife in it. And even for boats, just to recreate, if you're going to water ski or something, the saline levels, uh, the same saline, you know, the TDS, we call them total dissolved solids, have risen to a point that not only are they toxic for the fish and the wildlife, but it's also really bad for your engine on the boat um, to run that water through through the cooling systems. And so it's, it's, as we are able to bring those TDS labels down to a more appropriate level, Uh, That'll that'll make the danger of putting an actual boat on the lake um, a little bit safer as well.
1: I'm speaking with Jeff Bryan, Executive Director of the Walker Basin Conservancy. We have to go to break, but when I come back, I want to find out more about how all of us here in northern Nevada, really the whole state, can get involved and make sure that we preserve this precious and beautiful Walker Lake. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to
1: The Sherry Hill Show. My guest today, Jeff Bryant, Executive Director of the Walker Basin Conservancy, a nonprofit organization established to administer the Walker Basin Restoration Program. And we've been talking about all of the great work that has been done but Jeff let's talk about you know the future what are some of the things that we as northern Nevada citizens or anyone in the state for that matter if we really want the you know Walker Lake and the whole basin to really come back to life vibrantly what would you like to share with us about how we can get involved.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I like to, to share is I'm, you know, presenting the story or introducing it to a new audience or new constituency is that we, while we've made a lot of progress in our work towards uh, restoring Walker Lake, there is still a long, long ways to go. One of the, the taglines that we use consistently in, in talking with those same constituencies, or, are you know, one of the great restoration stories of the West is being written. Um, but we do need the public to help us write these final chapters. We made a lot of progress, but a long way to go. Um, we do need the public's input. And so, you know, through the end of the year, we've got a handful of ways that the public can get involved and get to know the organization if we're new to them or the Walker Basin is new to them. One thing I would encourage everybody to do is actually visit the Walker Basin, understand how splendid and beautiful it is, how exquisite the nature around you is. Go visit the new state park that we created down at East Walker. Um, There's 12,000 acres and almost 30 miles of rivers to explore that was previously off-limits to the public. Uh, They've got camping facilities. They've got visitor centers, restrooms. They've got all the amenities you need to enjoy a good weekend with the family and kind of get out and get some fresh air. Other ways to get involved, we've got a few campaigns going through the end of the year. We've got uh, working with a local business here in Reno. They've offered to do a raffle with us to help us raise a little bit of money. That's MBI Brewery. Um, they're giving deals on some of the beers that they're brewing, discounts on it. for In exchange for buying raffle tickets where you can get some really cool items, some neat gear from Patagonia, some passes for the state park to go camping, even some swag deals that we have with some of our hoodies and, and hats and things like that. It's one easy way to get involved if you're a beer drinker. It's a great beer to have. So it's it's kind of a win-win, if you will. Um, we also have some other campaigns throughout the end of the year. Uh, ways for folks to get involved and support support the important work that we're doing.
1: So that, I would guess, go to walkerbasin.org so you can learn more about it. And we're talking about, you know, the big giant lake right outside of Hawthorne, Nevada, which, if you're like me, have driven, you know, by and around for many years and never really understood why no one's using it or benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. Now I understand. That it's really important that this restoration program. What is the timeline? Is this a two-year, a five-year, ten-year, or?
2: So that's a good question, and, and the, the the quickest answer is it depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's a lot of factors that come into play in regard to you know the water years that we get. We re- we do depend a lot on on the water cycle, the hydrology of the basin, and the snowpack and such. Um, but with all of that, most of the models that we have is, you know, we've, we're, we're going to close escrow on a deal um, here next month that will put us at approximately 50% of the water that we need. Um, but purchasing the water is only the first step in getting it to the lake. There's a long legal process that we have to go through to make sure that the water that we're acquiring actually makes it to the lake. And from there, that's where all those other variables come in. So there's, I mean, there's a good chance or I guess one way to put it would be if we're successful uh, and a very proactive timeline would be I, my retirement party might be a, uh, <laughs> a, a fishing trip out to the lake. Ooh, uh, there I'm, you go. I'm 41 for that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this won't happen overnight.
1: Yeah. But you know, it's really great that, I mean, if this had not happened when it happened, I mean, what, what would have been a result? So if the restoration program did not get, started, what do you think would happen to that lake?
2: I think, it was, you know, this program did not exist at the time it did. It was created, you know, and got the public laws established and the funding appropriated to address the lake. It might have been uh, too little too late if it, if it had waited any longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drought years that we had in the, the you know, the 2011 to 2016 uh, were pretty devastating on the lake. Not a single drop of water made it to the lake in those years. And it was pretty futile. And I would even add that big water year that we had in 2017 with all the flooding throughout northern Nevada was a a major lifeline uh, to our successes for the lake. So it, 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 It was on the verge, I would say.
1: So I would think, you know, as a young person, I mean, this is a great way, I am sure, you know, STEM education and the sciences. I mean, how important is it for young people to go, hey, here's a great way that if I study chemistry or agriculture or environmental, you know, this is a great place I could put this to use.
2: Absolutely. You know, that, that is critical and I think, I think that's another critical component of our AmeriCorps program. Um, it, it is designed for, for mostly younger Americans. Um, we do recruit in the local communities to, to make, you know, AmeriCorps positions available to, to kids, you know, even in high school. So introducing them to these concepts at a very young age, helping them figure out where their passions might lie or help guide them to discover where their passions might lie incredibly important. You know, They're going to experience something that they never knew. An example I use a lot is growing up in Hawthorne. Hawthorne's not an agriculture town. It had a recreation economy, the military's there, and it was mining. Um, I didn't understand agriculture growing up until I decided I wanted to understand it as a means to understanding, you know, and finding solutions for the lake even before this organization invented. And that was a great learning curve for me to understand because now I have a more holistic picture of what real conservation would look like, what sustainable agriculture and its role it is, you know, agriculture is not the enemy of the lake. You know, they're they're part of the solution. And I think those deeper understandings and again those experiences early in life are gonna lead to that kind of enlightenment path, a path to enlightenment in these subjects.
1: Absolutely. As the planet is shifting into really wanting to understand how do we build sustainability? How do we create good programs that support everyone in a community? What a great way to volunteer. So I imagine that people can reach out to you, Jeff if they want to Mm -hmm. become part of the volunteer side of the restoration program or, you know, your organization, Mm -hmm. how they can support, if they want, I I would guess you wouldn't turn anybody away if they said, I want to sponsor some more plants for the next planting. Is that correct?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. We're still accepting sponsorships and waiting to get involved. Uh, We're done with planting for the season, so we won't be planting until the spring. Um, But yeah, yeah. Continue to feel free to keep sponsoring some of these plants and help us meet meet our objectives.
1: So you would want people to go to walkerbasin.org to find out more about this particular program, and of course, the Walker Basin Conservancy, which is the nonprofit Mm -hmm. organization that's administering the Walker Basin Restoration Program. But just as a you know, a final thought to our listeners. What would you like to say to someone if they if they approached you and know nothing about what you're doing? What would you say?
2: <laughs> That's a very good question, Sherry. Um, I mean if they knew nothing and they just wanted to get an an inkling of what we're doing, you know, I'd probably start with the importance of the lake and a healthy ecosystem. Um, you know, the the approach to restoring balance in the basin and restoring Walker Lake means that we need the entire system to be healthy. Again, which is where we've taken a very keen approach at working with our agricultural communities, um, some of the other communities throughout the base and the tribal communities that are affected by our, by our work and have, have a stake in the game. Um, it's a very corroborated process. Uh, there are a lot of players and partners involved. It's, it can be very complicated at times. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're, go- we're shooting for the moon with this one. This is a, a restoration effort that I've been told many times over my life and even over the last several years that we're never going to accomplish our goals Again, you know, I'd leave it with this is one of the great restoration stories of the American West. And we really need everybody's help to write the final chapters and bring it home.
1: Well, definitely. And if people want to enjoy Walker Lake and the entire Walker Basin, which is, you know, it's not not that far here, right?
2: Yeah, just two hours away. Someone's not familiar with it. It's not a very far drive at all. Go see it. Go experience it. Yeah, you know, getting a motorboat out on the lake isn't necessarily viable, but go paddleboarding. Get a kayak out there. There's still wildlife around. There's a lot of uh, bighorn sheep that hang around the cliffs around the lake. Again, there's, there's camping spots up and down the river now. There's lots of fishing access points along the river. Um, you get out to a, a spot, particularly out on the East Walker called the Elbow, um, there's some pretty good fishing. I can tell you from experience a few weeks ago up there right now, Um, It's a really good time to get out. And yeah, if you're not sure what the Walker Basin is all about, uh, hop in the car and go visit.
1: Absolutely. Well, I want to thank Jeff Bryant, Executive Director of the Walker Basin Conservancy, to join us today. Let us know the great work that's being done in the Walker Basin, that whole restoration program. And if you're a business owner, if you're a volunteer, you want to get outside in the fresh air and really help, you know, one of our great gems in our state get back to where it should be. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Sherry Hill Show, where business is amplified.
0: The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show and tune in next week, same time, same station for the Sherry Hill Show.